Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. It's all the co-founder of the Post Institute coming at you live this Saturday afternoon. <clears throat> um, we've been doing uh, evening book studies during our Post Daily Dose time. Uh, Big Papa's been out and he needed a little break. So I thought, well, what can I do at this time? So I decided to do little mini book study sessions. And so this is session number five. Um, the previous sessions you can find on our, if you just go to the homepage of the Post Institute on Facebook, and you know, I think there's a click even where you can choose videos. So then you can see sessions one through four, if you're watching today. And then, you know, of course I'll be continuing until we get finished with the book. I have a lot of glare. Usually I'm doing this in the evening. So I'm trying to figure out how to uh, manage my camera, but it'll be all right. I'm not gonna worry about it too much. So I see we have about six people joining us so far. That's awesome. Um, anybody want to say hi? I love that. It's awesome to see people plugging in. Uh, so we're studying, let's see, this book, I'll put this one up first. Oh my God, the glare is terrible. Uh, from Fear to Love, Parenting, uh, we have a new, uh, actually we have a new cover, and I don't have the book with a new cover in front of me. <laughs> and then we also have it available in Spanish. We have a Dutch translation that's out. We have a, a translation in Serbian floating around somewhere, and I have a German translation that's been done for us that I'll be getting up on Amazon very soon. And let me just tell you, one of the coolest things it's just the coolest thing is that most of the translations that we have have just been done because people wanted their community to be able to read and study this book together. And so they just did it for free. <laughs> that is so generous, you know, to take a whole book and to go through it and to rewrite it in the language of your community, your country. I'm just like, my heart is just completely overwhelmed with gratitude for that. So I just want to give a shout out about that whole, that whole idea. Um, and then I want to give a shout out again. I mentioned Mimi Ellis the other day. She's an, a postie for a long time, a friend of ours. And um, actually it was her idea to do book studies. She and I were talking probably about two and a half years ago when I was I was at the helm of the Post Institute and Brian was taking a break. Um, she came up with the idea of doing book studies and the vision is for little book studies to be taking place all over, all over the world. Now, I mean, we're, we'll get global and for, you know, kind of like the AA model for people to get together, parents to get together um, and pour into each other. Um, and this book is such a great guide because it helps us understand the science. It helps us understand human development, brain development. It helps us understand stress and it gives us a, diff a whole, whole different paradigm, a whole different paradigm. She shifts us away from punishment, consequences and rewards and teaches us about how to build relationship and it focuses on us as parents getting healthy so that we can be healthy for our kids. That is not to say that there's something wrong with you. Uh, this isn't a problem. It's not a problem saturated perspective. It's all about looking towards solutions, understanding the root, the root of the challenge. The root of the challenge is not the behavior. Behaviors are simply 
communication and when our children's behaviors are challenging and difficult that just lets us know that internally they're feeling challenged internally they're dysregulated internally they're stressed out and overwhelmed and if we punish if we take that punishment that consequences and rewards model we're just pouring fuel on the fire of stress and so for us to all take some deep breaths step back learn a little something learn a different way of being a different way of relating, a different understanding of what our children need so that we can grow and flourish together. Hey, Mary, glad to have you. Thank you for saying hi. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Um, we can expect this to be about 30 minutes, um, but I'm going to try to be pretty quick. So what we've been doing is each, well, we were doing it in the evenings because that's when our post daily dose is. We've been going through a few chapters of this book. And what I've been, the book, just the nature of how it's written, it's a super easy read. The chapters are two pages sometimes, sometimes four pages. The chapters are really short. They're really to the point. And then at the end, there's these little bullet points that you can go back and reflect on so that you can, you know, anytime when you are changing a paradigm, it takes repetition, 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 and then putting it into action and experiencing the results. Oh, my God, it's so amazing incredible um, I have people reaching out to me all the time saying okay well I started applying this way of thinking I started applying a more love based approach I started applying daily connection love connection with my child and really pouring into them and I am seeing I had a, a friend of mine stop by the other day she picked up a book last week then she came by about four days later and then she messaged me and said I am seeing the fruits of this model within days. Within days, I'm seeing a shift in the child that I was most concerned about. And so, you know, my testimony is one thing, but when you when you hear people have those sorts of testimonies, it's just, it makes me feel so grateful. Um, so grateful for this message that I feel like Brian was gifted with. I feel completely blessed. Uh, I say I'm just along for the ride. I feel completely blessed. Uh, to be a part of this, and I feel blessed to have the opportunity to share a little bit. Hey, Amy, good to see you. I see, oh, Chad McNeil. Oh, my gosh, Chad, how are you? Give hugs and love to your family, Chad's Chad's family, extended family, Brian's uh, cousin. I don't know if we're even really cousins, but it feels like we're cousins. So cool to see you guys. So I'm going to jump into Chapter 6. Well, let me just backtrack a little bit and read what we did for our homework that will help give you an idea of where we're at and what we're doing. So the first night we read the, the foreword and the introduction and one of the sweetest parts about the foreword is that it's written by Brian's mom and what she tells us is never give up on your child. That as long as we have air to breathe there is hope. And sometimes, as we learned last night, because of how the brain develops, and that there are the prefrontal cortex doesn't finish developing until the mid-20s, that um, that gives us hope. And it lets us know that when we, you know, we go through all those struggles during middle school and high school, and then, you know, they venture out into the world and we're, you know, we're scared or whatever position we're in. But I see so many relationships mended in that mid to late 20 time frame. Um, and I know, you know, Mimi had that experience with her daughter as well. Um, Kevin and I, you know, we've always been in relationship, but now that he's in his 20s, our relationship is so strong. And since we're here and I can publicly praise him, I want to do that. 
he has gone through, he's gone through so much in his short life but recently like literally last week his car got stolen ah you know and you know <laughs> that is a big deal in Oklahoma where we don't have public transportation and he's trying to figure out how to get to work and he's anyway he's handled it He's handled it with so much maturity. I'm so proud of him. I'm always proud of him. But when I saw that, I was like, man, he's a grown man doing life. I'm so proud of him. And sometimes the tests, when stuff happens, when tough things happen, and we don't completely blow it, we don't completely lose our grip on reality, and we flip out, and we you know, completely get stressed out and overwhelmed, tear things up, and beat people up, and none of that happened <laughs> and i'm so proud of him i'm so proud of the person that he is he has an amazing heart and he's an amazing person so um since we were talking about uh, midlife development i thought i would just shower a little public praise on him um, and i sent him a message today too i'm gonna stop just a second i see some comments coming in leslie we experienced healing this year with our 22 year old Thank you, Brian and Christy. God is good. Yes, God is good. Um, God is good. God is love. So I know there's a, a lot of people out there who have experienced, maybe they've experienced church hurt in the church, or uh, maybe they've experienced uh, rejection or shame or whatever struggles have happened in their physical church that caused people to be sort of allergic to talking about God and spirituality, but God equals love, which also means love equals God. So, you know, if hearing the word God makes you anxious, just substitute love, you know, just substitute love in there. It'll be all right. It's okay. So God is good and love is good. And Leslie, I love you guys. And it was fabulous meeting you guys at the parent camp. And um, it's awesome when you know, it takes courage. You can read the book, but it takes a lot of courage to do something different. And spending something different in the face of the world that's saying to you, you need to, you need to just, you just need to beat their ass. You know, God, that mentality, that mentality. And I know parents just get that shoved down their throat. You just need to be beating them harder. Well, you know, my kid's from a hard place. And he's already experienced that. So I don't think I need to add any more pain to his life. I don't need to put more fuel on that fire. So, uh, you know, me set box, I tried. <laughs> so the first night we read the foreword in the introduction, our homework assignment was about rekindling hope because we can begin to feel hopeless, especially when we're sort of straddling the fence and we've not fully committed to a model and figured out how to really pour into our child in the way that they need. So we're going to learn more about that, about rekindling hope is just, you know, sometimes that's just remembering a time when things were better. Remembering when you prayed to have a child in your life, you know, remembering and getting plugged in with people who are hopeful and optimistic, not not overly cheesy because that sometimes ugh, that can really be abrasive, but you can just sit with you and be with you where you're at and help walk this out with you. You know, this idea that we have to do life alone, that you're supposed to have all the answers and that you're supposed to be ultimately 100% independent 
is completely false. And the idea that strong people do it alone, you know, the strongest people are the ones who are transparent. The strongest people in my mind are people who, who, you know, they can go and be in front of people and share their heart and have people pour into them. There are people waiting to be a blessing in your life, but they don't know that you have needs. And so I just want to challenge that these concepts of what we think strength is, you know, smiling in the face of tears, or maybe we just need to let the tears flow. You know, maybe we just need to be authentic and be where we are. That takes a lot of courage. So that was our first night in our first homework. The second night we covered the first, I think we did the first two chapters and our homework assignment was to just go sit in the area where your child nests, just to go sit there when they're not there. Because sometimes we end up in relationship, there's a chasm in the relationship. And the chasm is because we've fallen out of understanding. We're over here holding a certain expectation and probably that expectation is something that uh, the, the outside world, we feel like the outside world is, is pressuring us for. And then we're trying to get our child into that place. And so we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And in that pushing, 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 we have fallen out of understanding really where they're at, what's going on inside their mind body system. And who, you know, just, they don't feel understood. So just go sit in their room or wherever they nest because their room's not always their nesting place. Go sit in their nesting space when they're not there. And it may take doing this several times before you can just sit there and be. The first time you might barely even be able to, to stick your head in the room. And you might catch a smell of dirty socks and bunk, you know, or, you know, you might look around and be like, man, how many times have I told them not to bring food in the room? All your frustration may be coming at the forefront. It may take several times of going in before you can just sit and be quiet. Quiet your mind. It's not all about you. It's not all about those expectations. Quiet your mind and just get back in touch with who your child is. That was homework assignment number two. Homework assignment number three was listen to your soul. Find quiet time to listen to your soul and notice what your soul is craving. Because when we are in the role of parents and caregivers, oftentimes our needs get put on the back burner because somebody's physical or emotional health is always demanding our attention. But let me tell you, you cannot pour love out of a cup that's filled with exhaustion, bitterness, and resentment. It's not possible. So get quiet and listen to what your soul is craving. Everybody's different. What fulfills, what gives you a sense of fulfillment is going to be different than what gives me a sense of fulfillment. Movement has always been important to me. And for a long time, I didn't. Um, and then I started getting involved in different sorts of activity. Like I did belly dancing for a while. Uh, I'm old, <laughs> but I'll and I'll tell you, it was great. It was great for my circulation. It was great for my flexibility. I was with a group of all women. And so I really felt about parenting and kids, you know, it's so great to get out of the bubble sometimes and realize that there's a whole world out there. So, you know, whatever 
get quiet and listen to what your soul is needing. And once you hear what it is, it may be something physical, like physical activity. It may be nature. It may be creating. It may be something social, maybe something spiritual. It may be musical, whatever. It, it may even be that your soul is craving to volunteer for something that your child isn't able to do or or isn't interested in doing but you know what it's okay it's okay i mean i had a friend who was like i always wanted to be a little league coach but my child isn't interested in that well, that's okay just because you're an adult doesn't mean a hundred percent of everything has to be put on hold there's a balance you know it can't be all about us we can't just abandon our children and go do everything we want to do and just leave them to not be raised that's not healthy, but neither is it healthy for us to be so revolved around our child that we feel resentful. So finding that balance becomes crucial. So that was homework assignment number three. Listen to your soul. Find out what it's craving. Start developing a plan for getting your needs met. Uh, the next homework assignment was last night, and that was pausing. To pause three times a day. Pause three times a day at least. Notice something right there in your environment, right there in your environment that feels good. So like for me right now, I can just pause. I can breathe in the sun ray coming through my window. When I do that, I'm settling my body neurologically. I'm and neurologically calming myself with that oxygen and that also helps me tap in to a different energetic vibration that i call love <laughs> it helps me kind of achieve a higher level of being higher i don't really like that word you know there that's not the best word for it a different a different way of being it helps me feel better it helps reduce my my tension inside and just Kind of have this sense that things sense of well-being that <sighs> do it with a piece of chocolate when's the last time you had a piece of chocolate that you just woofed it down and then you looked up and you ate five of it and didn't even realize you had a piece of chocolate put it in your mouth and smell it first open it up smell it put it in your mouth let it melt mm, let it the bitterness the sweet you know let yourself fully experience what you're experiencing and we move through things so fast that our bodies don't even really keep up with it so that that helps to exercise your gratitude muscle and it helps you learn to pause and breathe and the more you practice these things the more they become your habit they, the more they become your instinct versus reacting it will help you learn that process of calming yourself so you can respond to what it is that's being called of you and so uh if we keep doing this review by the time we're here for the last one i don't know we'll be like an hour in review <laughs> so let's jump into uh chapter six that's where we were at uh again we're doing a study of the book from fear to love you can get this book uh free just place shipping and handling seven dollars and 95 cents in the u.s it's more expensive international because international shipping is so expensive also available on audio uh on audible we also have it uh in ebook format and uh the i'll put the link for how to get the free book in in the post for this uh after it's finished but it's uh, www.feartolovebook.com. So that's where you get it for $7.95. So chapter six, 
uh, is about ages and levels of memory. The most important elements of parenting lie in, ooh, this is good. The most important elements of parenting lie in facial expressions, timing, intensity, tone of voice, gestures, and eye contact. If you know how to engage your child's state level, the child can be influenced positively. Ironically, facial expression, timing, intensity, tone of voice, gestures, and eye contact are all things that are driven by our subconscious. So, the importance of working on your internal state, your understanding of your child, the story that you're telling yourself about your child and your life situation will make all the difference in your facial expressions, timing, intensity, tone of voice, gestures, and eye contact. So these homework assignments that I'm giving you help work on you. And it, in working on you, it will help you with these things that are said to be the most important elements of parenting. Wow. Oh, man, that's huge. We could just stop there, but we're going to keep going. Bruce Perry says, all of us during times of stress revert to our developmental zone of comfort. In times of stress, we revert to our developmental zone of comfort. This means that your child that your child reverts to emotion reverts emotionally to an earlier experience of trauma. We call this a trauma barrier. It is not unusual for us to have for children who have experienced trauma, or for people for people who have experienced trauma. They might be twenty seven. They might be sixteen. They might be thirteen. But on a baseline of day-to-day -day functioning, they may be functioning in an emotional place that's more seven or more six. And when stress really gets elevated and they feel really threatened and really hijacked in their amygdala, and that cortisol is really pouring out, and their poor little oxytocin response mechanism is just not present for them because it's not been adequately exercised their brains not been adequately trained to release the oxytocin they can regress to being infants and so we have to meet them at the emotional place where you feel them speaking of amygdala hijack i think my dogs <laughs> have their amygdala hijack they always get really excited when the neighbor across the street takes their dog out. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's why I have a 13 year old who acts like a three year old at school. Yes, if you mention a school, to a school teacher that the child's trauma barrier is age three, the teacher will often say, oh, you're absolutely right. She acts just like a three year old. The thing is we have to let that concept permeate our heart with empathy, not with sarcasm not quit acting i want you to act your age not your shoe size ouch that hurts that hurts those sarc those sarcasm that barbs are painful especially when we're talking about somebody who's come from trauma and they're doing the best they can and this regression thing is real it's a real thing and it happens for us all i can't tell you how many times i've had parents once they understood this they're like oh my gosh you're absolutely i get it because when i'm triggered and I'm triggered it with an engagement with my child. My child regresses to being three. And here I am, a 35-year-old mother, but I have regressed to being a 13-year-old babysitter who's overwhelmed waiting for mom and dad to get home. 
That is real. That's a real dynamic. And the awareness of it can make all the difference. But, you know, it's not going to stop it right at that, right off the bat. You know, the first, just because you're aware of something doesn't mean it's going to go away, but it's, it begins the process because you may find yourself being that 13 year old babysitter many, many times, but then you're going to look back at the dynamic of the situation and the interaction. You go, oh, there I went again. There I went again. And over time, gradually, you'll begin to change how you're interacting. And that will help you nurture that little two-year-old baby that's in front of you versus being so scared of your child when they're in that regressed place. We have three different ages, our cognitive age, our emotional age, and our chronological age. Chronological age is the number of years we've lived. Our cognitive age has to do with our thinking processes, and our emotional age has to do with our emotional development. Now, here's the thing. Academically, and in our society, we have a very good understanding of, of our cognitive age. Uh, well, we have a very good understanding of our chronological age, how many ages, days, how many days we've lived on Earth. I just need to slow down a little bit. Um, we have a, a pretty good understanding, pretty good, about our cognitive age because we understand through testing about developmental disabilities uh, with regard to intellectual disabilities. Now, let me say this. I have seen when people begin to heal from trauma, I have seen shifts in how they function in their cognition. I've seen it drastically. It's like the trauma creates so much static in the brain that it affects cognitive functioning. And once some of that trauma, uh, the trauma reactivity begins to de-escalate because we know that stress causes confused and distorted thinking and suppresses short-term memory. So as the reactivity to trauma begins to reduce, then you'll see shifts in cognitive abilities. Now, what we have the least amount of understanding for is emotional development and how the emotional regulatory system in a human being actually develops. We don't give enough credit to the process of caregiving and nurturing infants. We don't give enough support to mothers and fathers while they're expecting. We don't give enough uh, we don't, I don't think we educate enough about the importance of nutrition. I think we do a pretty good job with nutrition, but nutrition and emotional health during pregnancy. And we need, us older people have to wrap ourselves around younger people while they're going through this so that they can learn how extremely important it is because the brain's developing in the womb. That's what we covered in the first chapters was the brain development in the womb and how that, you know, that like sets the foundation of the entire recipe for how this being, this person, this human is going to be able to navigate the world because, you know, we're looking at the brainstem and how that gets developed. And we know that's, you know, that's like the, it, it, uh, if you were talking about it as a computer, that's like the baseline operating system. Now, the baseline operating system can be adjusted, and that's where our love comes in. That's where our pouring oxytocin into our babies can help make changes at the brain level. 
But we just, in our culture, we don't give enough understanding to what it, what emotional development means and what that is and how it happens. And we are quick to assign negativity. We're quick to say, oh, they're just manipulating. I've heard people say that their infant, that their baby is crying to manipulate them to come and take care of them. Babies don't have that level of sophistication in their brain. My goodness, that level of sophisticated thinking doesn't happen until probably teenage years. That's such a sophisticated, premeditated way of, of addressing the world. And it, ugh, it makes my heart sick for us to think of that. In addition to the development stages and ages, we have four levels of memory, cognitive, emotional, motor, and state. The cognitive level of memory is considered to be the easiest memory to influence. Cognitive level of memory involves concepts like two plus two equals four, names, phone numbers, addresses, and so on. Face recognition is what occurs when we have moved into emotional memory. I might meet and learn someone's name in the morning, but if I haven't made a conscious effort to store the memory for immediate recall, I might not remember his name by the afternoon. I might see him later, and the first thing I would do is smile at him and look at him. I have an immediate reaction to him, but it is a love-based reaction rather than a fear-based reaction. I might say, I remember you, and he might respond and say, oh, yeah, I was in the restaurant this morning. I might respond, oh, yeah, Joseph, blah, 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 blah. Don't forget that an emotion and a feeling are not the same thing, though. An emotion is what we feel with our body. Feelings, on the other hand, is what we create with our brain through your cognitive process. So an emotion is what we experience internally. A feeling is how we interpret what that, what that experience was. And oftentimes, the words we pick for feelings are words that we've learned or been assigned to from the world. Next is the motor level of memory, which is unconscious. This includes activities such as walking, talking, blinking, writing with your ink pen, scratching your head. Rarely do we think I'm blinking now because it happens unconsciously. Until we focus our conscious on the unconscious action, it remains unconscious. Say that again. Until we focus our consciousness on the unconscious, it will remain unconscious so in order for us let's go back to what we heard the most important element of parenting facial expressions timing intensity tone of voice gestures and eye contact those are subconscious things until we focus on them consciously they will continue to be unconscious so you will continue to have a scowl on your face about whatever until you become aware of the scowl on your face. You will continue to try to be regulated. I just, you know, I try, you know, fake it till you make it. Uh-uh. Fake it till you make it is the worst advice you can get when you're dealing with children who are stress sensitive because they're going to sense that you're stressed. And yet you're telling them you're fine. You know how confusing that is? It's just better to go, man, I'm just really stressed out right now. So I'm going to step up. Um, <laughs> I I literally did that. Um, I'm gonna tell on myself. <laughs> this was recent. This was uh, like three months ago when we were at the hospital, and I was so I was so stressed out. 
Marley was really, really sick. We'd come through the emergency room. They still didn't know what was wrong. And they had put her, they went ahead and admitted her that she took some medicine and everything, like a big explosion. And they get everything taken care of. And then the doctor comes in acting. We were finally all calm and clean and settled down and getting rested. And the doctor then came in after the fact, acting like the world was on fire and started kind of, you know, manhandling Marley. Can you sit up and can you? It's like, whoa, we need to just get, you know, I need you to be more gentle. And I flipped my lid. I cussed at her. I yelled at the doctor. And then I said, I am really stressed out. And so I am going to leave. She's like, I said, I need to go outside. And she said, you need me to go outside with you? <laughs> I said, no, I just need to go outside because I need to take my stress out of this equation. Because all I was adding to the equation was more stress. I said what I needed to say. It was not good. I didn't say it tactfully. I didn't say it regulated. I didn't say it with a good response. I was highly reactive. And I knew I just needed to take my stress out of the equation and that the doctor was in good hands, that Marley was in good hands. And that I have confidence, I have great confidence that Marley will speak up and holler if she needs me. So, you know, that's with, you know, this happens, that's real. You know, we're human. Fake it till you make it though. You know, to be able to at least put into words, to be able to articulate, I'm really stressed out right now. I think is a great response when that's all you have to offer. Trying to pretend like you're calm when you're not calm creates confusion for our children. It adds to their need to be hypervigilant and that is already one of their defaults. They're one of their, their default coping mechanisms if they've come from a place of stress, of, of, of if they have an, a, a hyperactive amygdala, is to be hypervigilant in the name of self-protection. So if you say, I'm fine, when really you're not fine, that just creates more stress for your child and more confusion. So that is talking about bringing the subconscious to your conscious awareness. It's that place where we are kind of in that third eye, so to speak, being able to see ourselves outside of ourselves in the moment, being able to see, not just to feel our feelings, but to also see how it's, how we're really interacting with people. So um, finally, our state level of memory is the most important one to discuss here because it is believed that trauma impacts the state level of memory. This level of memory is associated with your brain stem. That's the part that we talked about earlier that is created, developed in the womb. And Marcy Axness tells us in a very simple sentence, she says, in the womb, the brain is being developed for the world, for the environment it will be born to you. Biologically speaking, that means that the baby's brain's developing for the mothers, for the world that the mother is interacting in and living in, even if adoption happens immediately after birth. The, st the brain stem has been created in a way particular for the environment it would be born to. This level of memory is associated with the brain stem. It develops very early in life. It is believed that from in utero to the first four years of our lives is the most important for your baby's brain development and for all of our experiences. Secure base 
uh, a book by John Bowlby, the father of attachment says the first three years of our life establish the blueprints for all of our future relationships. The blueprints, the active operating files that drive this computer are all created from pre-birth to the first four to five years of life. It's significant. These files are very significant. We as adults have a hard time bringing these subconscious files to our awareness. So we have to really understand what's driving the machine of your child. Bruce Perry says, state become trait. State becomes trait. What happens at the state level of memory develops the personality. Therefore, if a child has experienced trauma at that level, it is significant. It's critical to understand that parenting is much more an emotional exercise than a cognitive one. Uh, the most important elements of parenting lie in facial expression, timing, intensity, tone of voice, gestures, and eye contact. These are the most influential pathways to a child's state level of memory. That's why some kids who have uh, experienced trauma or who have sensitive amygdalas Eye contact is very difficult for them because it's very overwhelming. So when you're upset with your child and they can't look at you and they're being all avoidant and we call it bird dogging <laughs> in Oklahoma, you know, we call that bird dogging because, you know, have you ever seen it, you know, and even in that, um, about when Dixie, how the dog is getting up on the couch, we, were, we read that a few nights back and he's like pretending, like, I'm not really doing this. You know how um, you don't really see me if I don't see you. That's because that is activating the state level of memory. It's activating the brain stem. You know, people say eyes are the window to the soul. And so think about how activating eye contact is. So when you're upset with your child and you're like, look at me when I'm talking to you and they can't, that's why. And so it's okay. You know, it's maybe even better. They may actually be able to hear you better if they're not looking at you they may be able to hear you better if you can modulate your voice and talk with them in a more calm fashion they may hear you better if you can put a loving hand on their shoulder and provide some comfort and soothing and safety now they may be so hijacked that those things are not going to permeate you know, my son used to get so hijacked sometimes that he couldn't hear me when i was talking nice he only could hear me if I was talking like I came straight off the street. So yeah, you know, you have to be able to speak the language of your child in the moment because that's who I'm trying to, if I want to relate, then I have to be able to get where they're at. So uh, I say, you know, I, I yeah, I'm bilingual. <laughs> I can get rough if I need to. I can use profanity if that's going to be what you hear and what can get your attention, how we need to communicate. If me, you know, using certain words and certain language, you know, we all have a lingo, like the lingo of this book, talking about emotional regulation, using that term instead of just saying feeling calm, feeling calm inside versus feeling inside, you know, whatever language people, the people in your world understand, that's the language you have to speak. So uh facial expression timing intensity tone of voice gestures and eye contact these are the most influential pathways to your child's state level memory the state level memory is available 24 7. that's why we teach parents and that's why we've always wanted to put this model in your hands this isn't about something that needs to be secret 
for just therapists and something therapists to do to you or do to your child because therapy could be one hour a week it could be three hours a week but it's still just two or three hours a week the interactions the healing is available day in and day out in the relationship you have with your child the state level is always present and always accessible but we often reinforce the state level in a negative way Dr. Bruce Perry states that upon encountering a novel event, all humans perceive that event as a threat until proven otherwise. A novel event is, a, is experienced as a threat until proven otherwise, and that is true for all of us. The difference between being in a novel event and being hijacked and being in a novel event and being calm is my brain. I've had enough repeated experiences of these novel events that when my brain sees this and it gets amped up that I have enough oxytocin available to calm that. I've had enough experience to take a couple of deep breaths and then enter into this novel situation, be able to take it in and not feel like my life is threatened. Somebody with a sensitive amygdala, somebody little, think about a little baby and let's say that you're 15 year old has a hard time going into these novel events. It's because when they go to the novel event, they perceive it as a threat until deemed otherwise, and they regress to being an infant. Well, an infant in a novel event, a two-year-old in a novel event, is going to react differently than a 50-year-old, right? So, uh, let's see. This, this chapter goes on. It talks more about state becomes trait. It talks about the fight, flight, and freeze response. The fight response comes from the freeze response. We initially freeze, and the freeze may be just for a moment, and then fight or flight will come into place. Some people get frozen longer. They may be frozen, and we might, ex might perceive their freeze response at the amygdala level as being resistant or defiant. Uh, we may ask them to do something and get an immediate no, and we've not, they've not even really heard what we've asked. I remember um, Leslie Buchanan talking about that. She showed it so well. She's like, actually, I'm very guilty of that. My kids will ask me something. My first, I just say no. God, I don't even know what they asked me. <laughs> but in my fight, flight, and freeze response, I have a no reaction, and I need to work on that. These things are true for us all. Um, Here's a really cool picture because it shows the saber-toothed tiger and the caveman because when we start thinking about the, the brain stem and how it's created for survival, this process of creation comes from biological evolution for the purpose of survival. So here's a scenario. You're enjoying an evening with your child and you're feeling very calm and you say, Hey Sam, get up and take your take out the trash. The problem is that Sam's watching TV, and you're asking him to transition. He said, he says, hey hey hey, but keeps watching TV. You're not stressed, and you leave Sam alone. About five minutes later, you say, Sam, I really need you to take out the trash. This time, Sam gets up and takes out the trash. Without that five minutes, Sam would have had an amygdala reaction. It's a threat. It's a threat. It's a threat. But that extra space you gave him to transition in his mind gave his hippocampus time to kick in. Baby, it's not so much the threat. 
is he was unable to emotionally prepare himself to switch from watching TV to taking out the trash. He became more flexible over time. Children who have experienced trauma are chronically inflexible. They're inflexible because they're frozen, so often stuck in freeze reaction. The other thing I have seen that can be really effective is turning things into a game, even if you feel like their chronological age is old enough to do certain things without always having to make it a game. Remember when they were babies and we made everything a game. Don't lose that. I remember Mimi. Um, my nephew had used to have hated taking a bath. Well, look, taking a bath requires a lot of transitions, a lot of transitions. And if you have any sort of sensory integration challenges, which are very present for him, uh, not only are you having to transition out of whatever you were doing, like watching TV, to go take a bath, but you also have to take off your clothes. Well, for people who have sensory integration issues, taking off your clothes is not pleasant at all. You know, honestly, sometimes I have those. Sometimes I don't want to get out of my pajamas because I don't want to have to just transition out of clothes, feel the cold air on my body in order to put this other set of clothes on. It, you know, there's a lot of transition involved in that. There's a lot of sensory issues that go on in that transition. Then you have to get in the bath water and the temperature of the bath water has to be just a certain temperature in order for it to be comfortable. So bath time is a big deal, right? So Mimi had a game, and she did blast up, five, four, three, two, one. And you get that shot off just as quick as you can, and you run to the bathroom, and you get the tub. <laughs> and I remember blast off was probably played until almost junior high. And it was awesome, and it was a great process. It helped make bath time less painful. It helped remove all the arguments and all the fighting. So... This model is all about a deeper understanding and realizing that the behaviors aren't here just to piss you off and just to irritate you and just to get under your skin. The behaviors are communication. We have to dig deeper to understand what the behavior is communicating. We have to dig deeper to see what the trigger may have been. And the trigger may be just that there are some sensitivities that we need to be more empathetic of. And let me just tell you that my nephew is now in his 20s and he takes a shower and he brushes his teeth and he puts on his clothes and he gets in his car and he drives to his job and he does all the things that things that needs to be done. You know, he may live a different kind of life a little bit. You know, he's not super social. He's got his little niche and does his little thing. He helps his Mimi in whatever way she asks. You know, there's still some hiccups of him getting independent or whatever that means and looks like, but he's getting there. You know, he's getting there from a kid who needed five, four, three, two, one in the fifth grade to get in the bathtub. He's making it. He's making it. So, hey, guys, everybody relax just a little bit. We're going to get wherever we need to go. So we only got through one chapter today, and that is okay. Uh, we'll get further tomorrow. Well, actually, I'm going to take a break tomorrow. It's Sunday. 
I want you guys to take a break too and enjoy your family. Uh, chapter seven is actually really pretty short, and then we get to go into chapter eight about the stress model. So we'll do that Monday evening. Um, so I think today the homework assignment that we're going to add is just that, just what we talked about. I want you just to let some of this ruminate, to let it percolate. Start thinking about the possibility. Start noticing what emotional age your child functions at, what emotional age you function at on the day in and day out. And then when you're stressed, what emotional age do you regress to? And then the same for your child. What age are they functioning at on the day in and day out? And when they get stressed, where do they drop down to? And how can you become, actually, I'm going to add to that. <laughs> get out your cell phone and, and flip it onto the camera mode and start noticing. Make, you know, just put it in front of your face and start noticing your facial expression, your timing, your intensity, your what your eye contact. Start noticing and bringing out of the subconscious and become more and more consciously aware. You know, and maybe even do that when you're really mad about something. You know, go slide off, go out to your car and sit in the car and just pick up your phone and just put it on the video mode on your camera and just rant. Just rant the way you want to rant to your child and the way you want to unleash on them. Just rant and watch. And I think you'll be surprised at how intimidating you probably are out of your own space of being hijacked. One thing that'll do is it will help unleash that. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about just pulling the cork on it and letting it out. And then by letting it out, it will help you de-escalate a little bit. Then you can start working on your timing, your intensity. You know, to help yourself become congruent so you can de-escalate it and then what you bring to the table for the situation can become more congruent with a response versus a reaction. So that's it for today, you guys. Thanks for joining on a Saturday afternoon. I love you all. Thank you. I see so many people who've commented um, and I'll come back and take a look at those when I when we get off here. I love you guys. Much love. Uh, we'll be back uh, on Monday evening, 6.30. We'll continue the book study. Peace out, you guys. Have a great day.